You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, the official podcast of the Coastal LA Singles Ministry, where our focus is reaching up, reaching in, and reaching out. And uh, so we're going to finish a series tonight called Trusting God, Even When Life Hurts, but we're starting a new one next week, which is very more, much more practical. And there will be a book, if you'd like to buy it, you don't have to, called God's Answers to Life's Difficult Questions uh, by Rick Warren. It's going to be here uh, hopefully by next Wednesday. And uh, so the next uh, 12 weeks, uh, this, these will be the, they're kind of in order. So three, 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 and three, that's the topic. So next week, just the whole idea of how do you be confident during times of crisis? How do you defeat depression? Uh, everybody goes through a form of depression at some period of your life. And uh, aiming for excellence. How do you get above mediocrity? Living in a way that's above mediocrity. Then the next three weeks, we're going to talk about managing stress, uh, God's way, and uh, overcoming discouragement. Everyone gets discouraged. How do you deal with it? It can paralyze you. And so it'll be very how-to, very practical, but taught by, uh, like I said, uh, 11 of the 12 weeks will be taught by singles in one week. Uh, this next week, seven or the third week, failing forward, Jason and Miyoko are going to teach that. And since they just got married a year ago, I think they kind of qualify to still be in the singles mindset of understanding your world. Uh, failing forward, how do you rebound from failure? Peace that passes understanding. How do you find peace in a world that isn't very peaceful? Uh, how do you change your, your own character? Like, how can I ever change? And then the last three weeks... Uh, dealing with problems in your life. How do you push back the problems in your life? Everybody has problems. How do we not be a victim to them? What do I do with loneliness? We all suffer with loneliness and struggle with loneliness from time to time. And then the last one, how did I get in this mess? You go, what's that? We just go to the class and uh, you got to th- appreciate the single that's going to teach that. Uh, how did I get in this mess? Okay. So that's our topics uh, coming up over the whole month of October. It's very others focused. It's very practical. Please bring your friends. Uh, it'll be uh, you teaching them. And I think it's going to hit a little bit of everything uh, when you think about uh, the next four weeks, uh, 12 different lessons, uh, 24 different speakers. We'll upload everything online, audio, video, audio and the, um, any type of uh, handouts that we give. But I do appreciate all the singles are going to be teaching and uh, helping us with these things, and then you can get the book if you'd like. You don't have to, but you can, either on audio, on Kindle, or we'll have hard copies, uh, just less, okay? Uh, we're going to start the, this, uh, the last part here now of our lesson, and uh, this has been a great book. I just listened to chapter 12. I'm going to teach on growing through adversity. I listened to it, I don't know, maybe three or four times, preparing for the lesson, and I think I probably listened to it maybe ten times last year, because it's so... Uh, ministered to me, just like in, a, in the pool, you know, they have those buoys that they have hanging on the side that you never pay attention to, unless what? Someone's drowning or you're drowning. Throw me that thing, you know. And I really felt that reading this book, it really, the word, the word of God was so rich in this book, it really preached to me and it was a good buoy. So I love this chapter. Even when I listened to it again, I was like, oh, this is so good. So if you don't read anything else, read chapter 12 about growing through adversity because uh, we all are going to go through adversity in our lives and we can uh, grow in it or we can just grind it out and miss the option to learn. Okay? All right. Let me uh, just open with this story. There was a woman named Patricia Christie who lived in Homestead, Florida. And back in 1992, we had one of the worst hurricanes called Hurricane Andrew. It was a Cat 5. 
it destroyed so much stuff. There it is up at the top. And um, it kind of defined uh, building codes for Florida after that. Everything after that had to be Cat 5 or above as they rebuilt southern Florida after Hurricane Andrew in 1992. So this woman, Patricia Christie, super stressed out. I think I would be too if my house was destroyed and everything else and people were killed and everything else. I mean, look at your neighborhood right there. Think about how you'd feel. So Patricia says to her family, you know what? After all this hell, we need a vacation. So she goes to the island of Kauai and... um, Yes, goes to the island of Kauai. Well, it just so happens in 1992, hurricane, I may not be saying this right, Inki or Aniki, uh, happened in 1992. And so here she is in Florida, and someone overhears her as she's standing in line for food at Hurricane Andrew. I am going to get out of this state. I need to move. This is terrible. I got to get out of this state. And so she goes on a vacation that same year to Kauai, and there she is now standing in line for water uh, at, at a hurricane. And this is a true story because when Mich- Michelle and I got married in 1992 and we went into ministry, uh, I, I graduated on a Saturday. I went on a honeymoon for seven days. Six weeks, man, that's, that's, that's blessed. I was going to say evil, but that's blessed. And uh, that would just be envy on my part. We went on a honeymoon for seven days. Then we went in the ministry. Uh, no, I graduated on a Saturday, got married the next Saturday, went on a honeymoon for a week, and then went in the ministry the next week. Well, one of the couples in our ministry had just come back from Kauai. And they were there, and they told us how they were in the bathroom, on their vacation, on their back, with their feet against the door, trying to hold the door shut, because the winds were so destructive, and they were so scared that they spent all this money, took their little kids, went to Kauai, and uh, here we are, Hurricane Aniki. What's the point? You will have trouble in this world. I don't care who you are, how healthy you are, how long you live, what your pedigree is of family upbringing, whatever it is, you will have trouble in this world. Life will hurt. God designed it that way. And yet, and you can't just, I mean, here she is in a hurricane here, goes on vacation to one of the most incredible places in the world, Kauai. And the same year hits another, is involved in another major hurricane. And that's how life can be sometimes. Henry and I were hiking one day, uh, I don't know, maybe six months ago. And I said, Henry, how do you deal with the negativity? Not from me, because I'm really positive with it most of the time. <laughs> no, how do you just deal with the negativity in life? Just sadness, pain. He said, well, when times are good, I just enjoy it, realizing it's not going to last. Something's going to come my way soon, and I just need to be ready for it. Not freaked out by it, not overwhelmed by it, not afraid of it, but just realize it's good, enjoy it, but it will only last for a time and then I'll get hit with something and then we'll have another cycle. We'll have, that's a great lesson. Uh, it's great in theory, but it's hard on the heart. It's difficult with the heart. But this whole thing we've been talking about the last month, trusting God. It's easy to say it's hard to do. It's easy to intellectually understand it's hard to practice. It's easy for you to tell someone else, hey, just trust God. Sounds like you need to trust God. Have you been trusting God? Just need to pray on it. And it's easy when someone else is in pain to go, man, that's rough. You're really gonna, I guess it's going to have to trust God. And it's easy just to kind of, with faith, tell them, you need to trust God. But when you're going through it, and especially if it hurts, it's really difficult to trust God. I found this quote 
uh, and he talked about this in the book. It was a really cool illustration. I'll read the quote in a second. But the whole idea of Cecropia moth. Cecropia moth uh, only lives for about one week, okay? And it's nocturnal. So you typically don't see it. It's born. This is its bedroom right there. That's pretty nasty looking, huh? That little cocoon. And that's kind of how we can feel in life. God kind of encapsulates us in some very challenging situations uh, that don't look very good. And the Cecropia moth uh, is, you know, in this cocoon for a period of time, and then it has to literally push its way out of this uh, shield right there, and, and it, it, like, squeezes itself out. And the story goes in the book, which I thought was such a great illustration, that a man once watched this moth struggling, and to help, he just took little scissors, and he clipped the tip of the, not the moth, of this, this uh, you know, nice little house right there. What he didn't realize was the moth came out all shriveled and small and couldn't fly and died. Because part of the, the way God designed the moth was for the moth to fly and be beautiful, it had to squeeze itself out of the cocoon so that it would push all the fluid into the wings. And, and it would build the muscles in the wings so that when it came out and then it dried, it could fly. Yes, it's only a week long of a life, but when you think about God says our lives are like a day, you know, day, thousand years, our life really isn't that long when you think about it in the sight of God. And I think so often when we're in these things, we can say, get, get me out of this, God. Enough's enough. I'm done. I don't want this. Not realizing that that strain, that struggle, that fight is where we become what God wants us to be. I'll read the quote in a second, but here is the Cecropia moth. Look at how beautiful it is. Lives only a week. Lives in darkness. You typically don't see it because it goes from cocoon to being out at night, eating insects, and then it dies about a week later. But you think about what God wants to make within us. If we're willing to go through the struggle and the process that he has. The strength in trusting in God is in the struggle. If you shortcut the struggle and just drink alcohol, you won't ever fly. If you shortcut the struggle and say, well, I'm just going to avoid people like that. Well, soon you'll say, and I'm going to avoid people like that too. And I'm going to avoid people like that. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to avoid people because there's a problem with people. And I mean, you can literally, before you know it, paint yourself in such a corner that you never really fly, you never really do anything with your life in the way God designed. The quote I thought was so cool. Uh, Oswald Chambers, theologian from 1800s, he said, A saint's life is in the hands of God, as a bow and arrow in the hands of an archer. God is aiming at something that the saint cannot see. He stretches... You know, like just like when you stretch a bow and it makes a noise and it gets really taut. And he strains. And never, every now and again, the saint says, I can't stand anymore. I was feeling something very strongly the other day and sadness. And I just said, to, I said, God, I don't think I can take much more. And literally, I didn't say it loud. I just felt it. He says, I cannot stand anymore. But God does not heed. He goes on stretching until his purpose is in sight. Then he lets it fly. We are here for God's designs, not our own. We are here on this earth for however many days God gives us 
for his designs, not our own. And how God is going to get us to that is us embracing the process where the strength comes from the struggle. Right now, we're going to have a sister come and share who's definitely a hero to many of us. In fact, I've known Cindy uh, back uh, 1980-something. We were in the campus ministry together at San Diego State uh, back in the 80s when I had the mullet. And, uh, and she had the big hair. And, uh, but anyway, she's going to share. She's been through a lot her whole Christian life, like any Christian, but a lot in the last little bit, and has stayed very faithful and has been very inspiring, just her faith in God. So let's bring up Cindy Sheer. Okay. Um, I haven't shared about this before, so just uh, bear with me. But um, I love this book. Um, there was a quote in it that I read that uh, really resonated with me, and it says, Do you have such a relationship with God and such a confidence in him that you believe he is with you in your adversity, even though you do not see any evidence of his presence and his power? And uh, I underlined it and I wrote a big yes, you know, by it, um, because I felt that. Um, I've been a disciple for 25 years. Um, As Marco said, I started out in the campus ministry in San Diego. I moved to Arizona and was in the singles ministry, and then uh, I was in the marrieds ministry for 19 years. Um, I have two amazing daughters, and um, I've been divorced for two years. Um, it was two years last month. And, um, you know, like Marco was talking earlier, I do, I do trust God. I think as a disciple we're supposed to trust God, but I think uh, over the past two years I've had to trust God in ways that I never thought I would have to. Um, In 2012, my uh, my husband filed for divorce, um, and you know you go through a a myriad of feelings: um, feeling alone, feeling devastated, uh, didn't know what to do, kind of lost my whole identity, didn't really know who I was. Um, Life as I knew it was over, basically, and my life was going to be changed. you know, I, uh, it, it stripped away all of my security, um, all of my self-confidence, all of my self-esteem. Um, I know we're supposed to get those things from God, but you do get a certain point of a, a certain amount of that from your spouse, and when it's gone, it um, it shakes you. It it shakes me. So um, I had a uh, core group of women um, that really pulled me through. Um, they prayed with me. They cried with me. They listened to me. They, um, they were just there, you know, whenever I needed them. And uh, I, I learned that it's really important to have friends. I mean, we definitely need God, and we definitely need friends. But um, I, I think God was uh, forging something in me, you know, kind of like, that moth, like I really had to struggle through this and find my own relationship with God. Um, I remember having a quiet time in December of 2012, and it was in Hebrews 11, you know how it talks about, you know, by faith Abraham did this, and by faith Noah did this, and I, uh, I thought, you know, I need to have my own by faith statement, you know, something that I can just kind of, you know, what I learned, what I'm learning, and so um, I wrote a statement, and then Later on in that month, I decided, you know, I'm going to do this 
every month for the next year. So for the whole year of 2013, at the end of every month, I would write out these by faith statements and um, just kind of encapsulated what I learned, what my struggles were, are, what my feelings were, what my emotions are. Um, they didn't always end up great, but uh, and then I would email them to these core group of five women um, so they could kind of hold me accountable, make sure I was, you know, not going off the deep end or anything. And um, but it, it really. It helped me deal emotionally with what I was going through. I felt like it really helped me heal. It helped me uh, deal with bitterness, with just, you know, life. And, um, it, you know, trust, trusting God was a whole part of that. I, I read the Psalms that whole year, and I, I had to learn um, why God loved me. You know, I had to really think, gosh, why why does God love me? Okay, he loves me. He's you know, he says he's my rock, he's my fortress, he's my protector. And yet, those words took on a whole new meaning to me. I mean, they, I, really, I really believe with all my heart now that God is my rock. He is my protector. You know, they're, they're not just words to me anymore. Um, this year, I have a theme um, for my life. It's uh, freedom and courage. Um, the freedom part is to... Uh, just the freedom to choose God every day, you know, in my quiet time to choose to follow him for this day only, you know, and let tomorrow worry about itself. Um, the freedom to, uh, to redefine myself, you know, figure out who I am, what I want, um, what my life is going to be. Uh, the freedom to get my security and my confidence from God, you know, to not get it in the, in the world. Um, and the courage, um, the courage is harder. The courage is to, uh, to take risks and to rely on God. Um, I know that I will never leave God. Um, the divorce, you know, it, it didn't shake my faith, but it made me really dig deep and find out what, what am I, you know, where is my strength, where are my roots, and my roots are in God, and that's, you know, where they're going to stay. Um, the courage to, uh, to not self-protect myself, to not put up walls, to not close off, but to really um, continue to be open, continue to be vulnerable, and really trust that uh, God will heal my heart, you know, when my heart gets hurt. Um, the courage to dream again, which is uh, something new, you know, and, and the courage just to, uh, to have hope. Um, my daughters are amazing. Um, Jordan is... 18. She's in the IE, the campus ministry. Um, she's been a disciple for four years, and she she has had her struggles through all this as well. But she is um, she's a great disciple. She has great friends in her life, and um, she is she's great. Um, my daughter Megan is she'll be 15 on Saturday. She um, she actually studied the Bible through our divorce, and uh, it was you know that was good for her. I think that she needed that struggle to really see her relationship with God. Uh, she became a disciple in 2013 on Mother's Day, so that was exciting. But, um, you know, they're both, they're both doing well. I mean, we all have loss through this, and we will continue to have loss through this, but we, we are trusting God. I am trusting God. Um, it's always hard. It's always a challenge, I think, to trust God, and yet, um, you know, God has... He has never let me down, not once. Um, he has come to my rescue 
more times than I can count. And whenever something challenging comes up, uh, I have so many points of reference that I can fall back on and just say, okay, God saved me here. He, you know, I don't know what he's going to do, but he's going to, he's going to do something, you know? And, um, so, uh, thank you for letting me share. Appreciate uh, Cindy sharing. Appreciate Miles sharing. Uh, who else did we have share? Um, we had a few singles last week share, and then I, did we have somebody else too, I think? Uh, one, Angela Williams, yes. I had Angela share. But appreciate having just these different older Christians share that have veterans of many wars, the VMWs, and a faithful, faithful in the Lord. But I uh, really respect you, Cindy, and thanks for being vulnerable with all of us about something that I know is very challenging. Okay. You know, all of us want to be holy. And uh, all of us want to be holy. And, you know, you look at the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Did I forget one? Love, joy, peace, peace, patience. You know, and it's, those all sound great. They look great on a little wall hanger when you walk in the door of your house. They look great on a card. Uh, they look great in writing to somebody. They sound great to preach about or share with somebody. But how do you get the fruits of the Spirit? How do you grow in the fruits of the Spirit? And what it takes is it takes struggling with somebody that makes it very difficult to be loving. Like a roommate, like an ex-boyfriend, like a boss, like a parent. Like a situation where you go, what the heck is going on inside of me? I am shocked at how unloving I feel right now. I'm so angry. I'm, so, I'm small-hearted. I want revenge. I, the, you know, you just you kind of, what's happening? Well, what's happening is you're being tested in your trust in God. And if you want to grow in the spirit of love, then you're going to be tested to love. If you want to grow in the spirit of joy, you don't just, God, give me more joy. God goes, okay, let's take the path to joy. If you want to grow in the spirit of peace, God is going to put situations in your life that are going to be hostile, stormy, for you to find peace. It's easy to be peaceful when things are peaceful. That doesn't even take effort. Everything's just like a sunny day, 72 degrees, your hair is blowing in the wind if you have long hair. You know, things are going your way. The checkbook's looking good. Things are rolling. I mean, I'm really peaceful. But how about when things around you are not those ways? That's really when you're tested with peace. The guy behind us is a Brian Shaw. And Brian Shaw uh, is, was, right now he's only the third strongest man in the world. And uh, right there he's deadlifting. Uh, those are real weights. It's not like, in, you know, fake. He's deadlifting right there, almost a 1,000 pounds. Um, he, the year before, that was his, like, uh, that's when he was a third, that was his second best lift right there. The year before, he uh, deadlifted 1,078 pounds with a torn bicep and his face bleeding. Uh, so Brian Shaw, yeah, he's got some issues. Uh, he's taking it out. No, I'm just kidding. 32-year-old guy uh, from Canada. I just started lifting like seven years ago or something uh, and won all these contests. But my point is we want the fruits of the Spirit. 
Who wouldn't want to be described? Hey, tell me about that person. You. Someone says, man, they're super loving. Man, and I'm really ch- I'm challenged by how joyful they are most all the time. And the way there's a peace about them that I've never felt and very self-controlled. Let me tell you. I mean, we want those things that we got to lift the weight of adversity. And even though it's hard, and even though it's difficult, rather than getting down by it, we've got to see this is God growing us in the fruits of the Spirit. Passage we're very familiar with. And uh, let me just say one other thing about uh, this whole idea of growing. God wants to stretch us and stress us without straining us in order for us to get strength. God wants to put us in stress and God wants to stress our muscles spiritually, but without the point of straining them to where there's damage. And only he can do that just perfectly. I know some of you are still looking at that guy going, man, he's got some challenges. Yes, he does. James chapter 1, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So you read that and you go, come on. Sounds good when there's no trials. Sounds masochistic when there is. But the Bible teaches, James says, look at it in a different way. Consider means think about or look at. He's saying, consider it. This is not how you naturally feel. And this is not how you naturally see it. But try to come from a different angle and look at what you're going through. Consider it in such a way, just like in Hebrews 12, it says that Jesus endured the cross for what? The joy set before him. There wasn't joy right then and there, but he knew what joy was coming if he could just hang on for one more hour. If he could just hang on for one more hour. He knew what this was going to mean and what it was going to translate into. And so when he talks about consider pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, that word there means bundles, like one thing after another after another happens, and that and this and that. He says, think about it that way. It's not going to happen unless you will yourself because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. What does develop mean? It builds it. Perseverance is different than endurance. You need endurance to persevere. Endurance is um, you're in pain and you, and you hang in there. You don't buckle. You don't give it. You don't stop. Perseverance is you're in pain, you're enduring it, and you keep on keeping on. You keep moving forward. It's a lot what Cindy talked about. She's had to endure a lot in the last two years. But she's also persevered. She hasn't just sat there, this hurts, this is hard, this is devastating, I'm not moving. Not going to move. Leave me alone. No, I'm still going to be a Christian. I'm still going to um, uh, be a mom that points out God to my kids. I'm still going to be a faithful sister in the church. I'm still going to serve. I'm still going to give what I can. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to keep moving forward in the pain. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I shared this one other lesson maybe two months ago. Uh, that word right here, the Greek word, not lacking anything, I never knew this before. You probably already did. I didn't. It means that the literal translation of that phrase is something supernatural happens. That God comes in and does something that you can't put in an equation. 
that God makes up the difference, the not lacking anything, is God does something. Something in that process supernaturally transforms that only God can do. I thought, that really is cool. That really encouraged me. John 15, verse 2, it says, the other thing for adversity here is it, it makes us more fruitful. Not at the time, but in time. At the time, it looks really bad when you're being pruned. But in time, it looks really good. And I don't just mean how it looks, the effects of it. The Bible says that God cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And so what we have here is two things. In adversity, God prunes us. He either prunes us by cutting off, doing some severe things in our life, and he removes them. He steps in the way of them. Where it's, there's, a, there's a sever that it's very challenging, and it doesn't look good. It's a cutting off. Or he takes something that's growing, but it's got some wild sides to it, so he prunes off the sucker branches, the branches that are taking nourishment but not really producing. They're just a distraction of nutrients. They're a waste of nutrients. Again, everybody would look at a fruitful tree and go, that's nice. I'll take that tree over that tree. But what we don't realize is along the way, there were some tools that were involved. I know this looks like the little shop of horrors right here. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street part whatever. But these are pruning tools. I showed this back in December of 2012 and talked about how I was going through the most difficult pruning time of my life. Little did I know it was just starting and all tools were brought to bear and then some. But the chainsaw, cutting off some of the big branches, you know, just getting it going. The folding saw, little handwork right there. When you've got to climb up in the tree and you pull it out and just smaller branch. The uh, pruning saw, and there's its scabbard right there that you just have on the side of your belt that you can pull out. Anybody been, done any tree work? Angel Menendez? A little bit. Are you telling the truth? All right. <laughs> Anyone done any, any tree work? All right, Mike Halo, you got yeah, all right. Miles, Jonathan, okay. I work on my bonsai tree all the time, but that probably wouldn't count. No, I'm kidding. Then we've got the long-reach pruner, otherwise known as the bypass hand pruner, where it's just for little snips, for the little branches. See how it's just got those little, little teeth right there? You just little, neat, neat, neat. I have olive trees outside my house, and every year they come and they prune them, like a, and they look like they got a bad haircut. They look really bad for a while, and then they look perfect, just Perfect crown shape, perfect amount of leaves. Every year, prune them, prune them, prune them. Then you've got the small bypass lopper right there, and just depending on what size God wants to use on us. Got the little handheld, need to go for some medium work, and then we need to go with the large bypass lopper. Marco, this one's going to hurt. Bam! Booyah! So, it sounds funny until the tools are brought to bear on you. Then you'll just be in the back kind of nodding and smirking, but not for any other reason than it's just too true. But that's what God does. That's what adversity does. So when we go through adversity, he talked about in the book that the Hebrew word for teach and discipline are interchangeable. Did you know that? The Hebrew word for teach and discipline are interchangeable. So the Psalm, Psalm 40, 94, 12 says, Blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord, the man you teach from your law. Psalm 119.71 says, It was good for me to be afflicted 
so that I might learn your decrees. So when we're going through adversity, pruning, hardship, perseverance, endurance, growth, strength training, this is the question of the hour. What is God trying to teach me? Not me, you. What is God trying to teach me? Because there's rich lessons. Because when God disciplines, He's also teaching. When God is afflicting, He's also instructing. One of the scriptures that meant so much to me over this last year that so awesome uh, is uh, Lamentations 3. Go back and read it. If you're not suffering or haven't been, it probably won't excite you as much as me. But he talks about in that chapter that the Lord never willingly brings affliction to the sons of men. Meaning that just like a good parent that disciplines their kid, you don't want to, but you have to. And you want them to become a certain person. And so God just doesn't get excited about disciplining us and watching us in pain, but he loves us so much that he's willing to do whatever it takes, or as the saying goes, go the distance. And Lamentations 3 over and over again talks about just God disciplining us and seeing God in it and that, thank God, there's new mercy every morning. And it's just a really, really rich. And, you know, I want to echo what Cindy said. You know, I used to be a Proverbs guy. Proverbs are like what's called an axiom, just a little one-statement rich truth. It's like a barb. It just gets you like that. Just very simple, like a fortune cookie, but it's true. It's not just, you know, you will meet the woman of your dreams. Some cheesy thing. It's their, their little one saying. Every, every culture has Proverbs. And I love the Proverbs because you can just put them in your pocket, put them in your pocket, have them in your mind. They're just so practical. But I've become a man of the Psalms. I've been listening to the Psalms for a year and a half, almost straight every morning, almost every morning. And I can tell you, you know, let's talk about it. Psalm 88, Psalm of Depression. It's the only one that doesn't end, hopefully. In fact, in all the Psalms, it ends saying, darkness is my closest friend. And Psalm 88. You go, that doesn't sound very encouraging. Well, when you're in that situation, it will encourage you that somebody else went through what you're going through. Uh, Psalm 42, Psalm 62 just talks about, wanting to go be with God. I mean, it's just amazing the Word of God and how we go learn God's decrees when we're going through a tough time. Philippians 1.6. You know, he talked about this in the book and it really ministered to me and I hope it ministers to you. He says, being confident of this, Philippians 1.6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. How many people can say their life radically changed the day after they got baptized. I mean, it, it was a, it's been a process. But there was a dramatic shift. I'm serious. It's been a process. But a dramatic shift. Oh, keep your hands up. I want to see. Uh, in your temper. A dramatic shift. Keep your hands up. In maybe how you looked at money. Or how you looked at the opposite sex. Or your relationship with your parents. Or how you viewed your boss. Or just life. Dramatic shift. But the Bible says, He who began that dramatic shift. That good work in you, supernatural, will carry it on to completion. You know, I think after we've been Christians a while, we just don't feel like we're growing anymore. And maybe we're not, because we're not putting in the work, we're not partnering with God like we could, or we're, we're resenting adversity, we're sidestepping it, avoiding it, submitting to it reluctantly versus voluntarily. I don't know. But the Bible gives us a promise that he who began that good work, that was super visible to us, 
and anybody that knew us, is carrying it on and carrying it on and carrying it on to completion. He quotes this philosopher from the 1800s, Horatius Bonner. And he says, this is so cool. He says, he who is carrying it on, read that up there. He who is carrying it on is not one who can be baffled or forced to give up his design. He is able to carry it out in the unlikeliest circumstances and against the most resolute resistance. Everything must give way before him. The thought is, I confess to me one of the most comforting connected with the discipline. If it could fail, if God could be frustrated in his designs after we've suffered so much, it would be awful. He's saying if we went through all this suffering, all this adversity, all this difficulty, and then God could be stopped in what he's trying to complete in us, what a waste. How futile. How stupid. Similar to what Paul says. He goes, if there's no resurrection, we're to be pitied more than all people. And I, 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 I never thought about this before. That God can't be baffled by our stubbornness. God goes, okay, not going to listen. I'm going to take a different route. But I love you. A lot. You ready? Do you know, I mean, just, if, so even if it's us that are trying to get God to give up or trying to baffle God or trying to outdo, God goes, no, I know what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, how long I'm doing it, when I'm doing it. And he's able to carry it out against the most unlikeliest circumstances and the most resolute design. Everything must give way before God. I think that's very comforting, at least this to me. I'd never thought about it that way, that God, the one who began the good work in us, can carry it on to completion. So how do we, what do we do with, deal with dealing with adversity? Number one, submit voluntarily, not reluctantly. Submit voluntarily, not reluctantly. If you lose a war, you're the op- opposing side, you're submitting, but it's because there's a gun to your head. That's very different than turning yourself in at the police station. And so when we're going through adversity, asking ourselves, not, God, what are you trying to teach me? What are you trying to teach me? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you trying to teach me? Huh? Huh? Like, that's not, okay, you got my attention now. What? That's not submitting voluntarily. That's, okay, God, you got me. What do you want? What? That's not it. You're missing the heart. God will just keep lifting. It's saying, hey, God, I'm open to whatever you were trying to teach me. It's saying to people that are around you, hey, what do you see? What am I missing? It's saying to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, speak to me as I get in the Scriptures. Show me the way. Two, what does the Word have to say about this? About what? Whatever you're going through, whatever you're wrestling with, whatever adversity, go into the Word. He quotes another scholar, a Puritan, and he talks about, it's really cool, how the Word when we go through adversity, it makes us go seek the word if we deal with it right. And then the word, he says, gets in there and it subdivides our heart like soil. It just starts breaking up the soil of our hearts so that things can grow. And so when we're dealing with adversity, go to the scriptures. Don't be lazy-minded. What does the Bible mean when it says, love God with all your mind? And I'll tell you something. You listen to the scriptures differently if you're in a good place while you're in a bad place than you ever have your whole life. They come alive. Their lights come on. There's meaning. There's a sense of just incredible encouragement and warning that comes with it. 
And then number three, what is God trying to do with adversity? He wants you to remember the adversity. Remember the tough times. I did a quiet time this morning with uh, Gina out of Psalm. We listened to Psalm 78 on the way to school. And then we talked about, and she goes, oh, Dad, you should do a sermon on this. And I'm like, yeah, that would be a good sermon. Huh? And we just talked about how manna came and it wasn't enough. And they complained and they forgot. And how they were like, man, this stinks. Where's the meat? Where's the beef? Come on. So much better in Egypt. I was so set up. She's like, Dad, were they? I'm like, no, they weren't. It's just you, gotta, you, you fantasize about something that's not real, just for relief, just to get your way. And she had this great talk. And so much of the Old Testament is all about, remember when I led you through that vast and dreadful desert. Remember when I fed you with manna. Remember when I parted the Red Sea. Remember when I disciplined you. And this whole story of the Bible is we get humbled, we humble ourselves, hopefully God blesses us, then we go, eh, I don't need you. And God goes, oh, i to do it all over again now. And so the more we can, when we go through adversity, is to remember those times so that we don't do them again, if it's something self-inflicted, and so that we can get deeper through those times. Here's some future blessings of adversity. Because when you're going through adversity, Hebrews 12 says no discipline at the time is what? Pleasant. Meaning it's not pleasing to the senses. It's not fun. It says it's what? But painful. Ouch. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness, everything we want, and peace. What? For those who have been trained by it. So if you just grit it out and don't get the training, don't take the instruction, you missed it. So here's some future blessings of adversity. When you think of a harvest of wheat waving in the wind, golden wheat, as far as the eye can see, here's what this would look, the wheat would look like. Immense spiritual growth, a depth in the word, a, lots of warnings where you're just, you're just a wise steward of your life because you know the warning signs. You know, I ain't going there. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to be with that person ever. I'm not do- no, not even on the table. I don't care how bad it gets. Not an option. Four, you're more useful to his service. Five, your dependence and depth on in God and on God is at a whole nother level. You know, today I was thinking about it. I thought, you know, Marco, you have become a prayer warrior. I guess this is what a prayer warrior is. You've always been consistent in prayer, very consistent, and it's been a good quality. But now you, like, want to keep going to prayer, like all the time, about almost everything. And I thought, well, that's like a warrior, like fighting in prayer. That, that, this is what a prayer warrior is. See, but I want to be a prayer warrior without the war. Sounds more fun. But I, I, I love my relationship with God. I love the depth. Number six, strength. Remember Mike? Or Brian, I mean. Remember Brian Shaw? World's strongest man. We've got to do some lifting here, people. In adversity. And then number seven, deeper relationships. I was thinking about it today. Um, you know, when you go, the Bible talks about fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. When you go through something very difficult in your health, and then you meet somebody else that's gone through the same thing, or their spouse did, or their mother did, or their sibling did, and they know exactly what it's like to have that disease, or to not have use of this or that, you suddenly lean in and connect. Um, so much of suffering, if we go through it together, brings deep relationships, deeper relationships and close, closeness. John Newton, the guy that wrote Amazing Grace, who was a slave trader, 
started out working on a slave ship, then he became the captain of a slave ship. He said this, and then he became a minister later on in his life. And he wrote that song, Amazing Grace, that we know. He said, trials are medicines which our gracious and wise physician prescribes because we need them. And he proportions the frequency and the weight of them to what the case requires. Let us trust in God's skill and let us thank God for his prescription. That's what it is to go through adversity. Let me close with this story and we're going to get in our discussion groups. There was a man who was uh, driving down a bumpy country road and, uh, you know, he always liked to I always found stuff on the side of the road. I've found all kinds of things on my bike, by the way, that I've picked up. But I'll, that's another sermon. That I found a hundred bucks once, but I but I turned it in. Didn't find the person in the first pass, and then I found him the second pass. No, I'm just kidding. And um, so this guy's driving on the road. True story. And he sees a bag of concrete on the side of the road and thinks to himself, "Hey, that's not cheap. You know, thirty, fifty bucks, whatever." There's a bag of concrete. So he pulls his truck over and he goes to get the bag of concrete to put it in his truck, and he can use it in his backyard. Save some money, just took him a moment. But when he goes to pick it up, the bag is hard as a rock. It's solid. It had gotten wet, the chemical reaction had taken place, and it became concrete. Solidified into an immovable piece of cement versus soft and limber powder. And he said this, he says, often our lives are like that bag of cement. They take on shapes that were not intended, and become hardened in that shape. The bag of cement was meant to be fashioned into some beautiful structure. But because it never reached its place of service, it became a useless rock in the form of a bag of cement. God wants, us to, make, God wants to make something beautiful of our lives. Don't let his purposes be thwarted by these bumps in the road that knock, knock us out, knock us over. Let's stay soft and limber so we can be useless for some beautiful thing that he wants to do. Trusting in God, it's hard. Trusting in God when life hurts, it's even harder. And yet, trust is a choice. So as we close out the series, just remember this. You choose to trust God. Or you choose not to trust God. David said in Psalm 56, who was a warrior, when I am afraid... I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can a man do to me? Let's be a people that choose to trust God. We're going to break into our groups right now, just for the next 30 minutes, and answer these few questions, and close in a prayer, and we'll close right at 9 o'clock. Okay? So let's get in groups no larger than three, so everybody can talk. And when are we going to fellowship? Nine o'clock, not right now, nine o'clock. So let's get in groups of three and uh, let's discuss and pray and then we'll be done at nine. You've just listened to the Elevate podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit elevatecoastal.com.